This program is intended for mature audiences only. Welcome. You are listening to On the Minds of Men, and I'm your host, Dr. Lori Buckley. Today, I have a very interesting guest. Her name is Virgie Tovar. She's a 25-year-old San Francisco sexpert, breast activist, and author of a newly released erotic autobiography. It's called Destination DD, Adventures of a Breast Fetishist with 40 double Ds. (laughs) This is the first book that is written by a female fetishist on the subject of fetishism. So she's a very interesting woman. Virgie currently teaches courses in fellatio, G-spot stimulation, erotic self-discovery, and erotic writing. One of her greatest passions is discovering and indulging men's fantasies as a phone sex operator, a profession she's enjoyed for five years, and we are going to talk about that. Uh, Virgie is also featured on Playboy Radio and Women's Entertainment Television, and she's a blogger for Box Magazine. So we're going to have all her information, and we're going to be talking about fetishes and fantasies, and you know what? It's okay. And how do you take these fetishes or fantasies and use them to your advantage? Well, we're going to be talking about that today with Virgie Tomar. Tell the listeners exactly what a fetish is. It's really... uh, an erotic fixation on an object. Um, and it also kind of connotes this psychological, um, I don't know, issue, quote-unquote, I don't like that word, but it basically relates to um, you're not being able to receive arousal or the type of arousal from anything else. I found myself completely satisfied thinking only about breasts, interestingly enough. Yeah, and and like you said, well, that's a great thing. You don't want to lose that. But wouldn't it be nice if there could be other things? And, and, you know, you bring a good point up, which is a quote that you wrote in your book, something that you said, which I thought was really interesting, was that uh, fetishism makes orgasm easy and relationships hard. My first sort of forays into sexuality with other people was through phone sex because I was extraordinarily shy. I was brought up religious um, and I was I was very guilt-ridden around my, there was a lot of guilt around my sexuality. Um, and so I didn't want to go right into physical behavior. My pussy made a noise or my foot slipped or <laughs> I was wearing satin on the satin sheets and I slipped off. <laughs> you know? um, all those things happen and just having somebody who kind of can just dust you off and just say, keep on going, you're so hot, you're so sexy. Yeah. That's, that's a big piece of advice I have. Welcome, Virgie. It's so great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
You know, you're such an interesting woman. <laughs> you know, I have your book here, looking at your breast as we speak. Um, mm-hmm. They're quite lovely. <laughs> I want to want to talk to you. Well, actually, let me just let me just read what you wrote about your breast in your book. Okay, I love this. They have inspired moans, squirms, orgasms, prolonged suction sessions, groping ogling, tears, several invocations of deities, mothers, and the Holy Virgin Mary, <laughs> as well as unnumbered tales of frustration and blue balls. <laughs> you think yeah. that, that kind of says it all about your breast. <laughs> I think that's maybe what started this. Now, your book is about, well, it's called Adventures of a Breast Fetishist with 40 double Ds. So you have fabulous breast, 40 double Ds, and you happen to be a breast fetishist. So tell me how that kind of plays in. How did that come to be? Do you think there's a a correlation there? Well, you know, I have to say, on some level, yes. On another level, no. Because my fetish was already in full bloom way before I even had breasts. Um, I was breastfed until I was about four. And I, I'm pretty sure the fetish probably started around then because it was at that point that I started to orgasm, masturbate and orgasm thinking about breasts. Um, and watching breasts on television. For example, I was raised, just like all the rest of American males, masturbating to Suzanne Summers. <laughs> and even women, even women who weren't sort of as overtly sexual, you know, people like Roseanne Barr really, I mean, just women who had breasts, obviously everyone has breasts. Most women have breasts that are noticeable. On TV. <laughs> yeah, on TV. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I just found myself completely aroused when I would see them just making out the shape of the breasts. And I, I was just crazy for them before. And then to speak to my big breasts now, I think it definitely plays a huge role in certainly my personal sexual life, maybe not as much my fantasy life because my fantasy life is very, um, I'm not very, I'm not a big part of my fantasy life, to be honest. It's a lot of third-person observation, um, and I'm just watching these naughty scenes go on that I create in my in my brain. <laughs> now, we're going to talk more about the difference between fetish and fantasy, but I think it's, it's that you bring it up right now, and that's really interesting. So clearly there's some, it sounds to me from what you're saying, there's some connection between being breastfed until you were four years old right. and then all of a sudden connecting that with, I guess, being conditioned to, you know, the breast and pleasure and right. then that, that sort of carrying over into your sex life really quickly. Right. Well, the interesting thing about a fetish, Lori, is that, I mean, there. I mean, somebody could have been breastfed until they were eighteen and not have a breast fetish. Really? And it's possible that I could have been breastfed for three months and still had this breast. It's just amazing how it kind of plays out in the wiring of a person's brain. It just it could it could it could not have happened. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think if somebody was breastfed till they were eighteen, uh, we had some <laughs> other issues going on. <laughs> That's a whole other show. A whole other show. Well, let's start here because, you know, we're talking about fetishes and it's something, it's a word that is, I think, often overused or misused. Can you tell the listeners exactly what a fetish is? Well, the... You know, it's my definition, and I'm going to tell you the difference between my definition and sort of the psychological academic definition. Um, it's really uh, an erotic fixation on an object. Um, and it also kind of connotes this 
psychological, um, I don't know, issue, quote-unquote, I don't like that word, but it basically relates to um, your not being able to receive arousal or the type of arousal from anything else besides this object. And for some fetishes, it's literally only that object that can get them off. For me, for a long time, it was only breasts. And until recent, up until recently, actually, uh, when I was 24, I was able to start fantasizing about, you know, intercourse and masturbating and orgasming, thinking about penises, for example. That was completely off the menu until I was 24 years. I mean, I remember the first time I orgasm thinking about a penis, and I, I cried because I was so excited. But anyway, that's that's off topic. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's, it's actually it's very much on topic. So, so now the definition you gave is that your definition, or what you think is the psychological academic definition? I would say that it's the. It's definitely a working definition. It's not mine, um, but it's a definition that I've found that is the least offensive because a lot of times the definitions I've read kind of connote the psychological disorder, um, and I don't think of my fetish as a disorder. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's my problem with those sorts of definitions. Yeah, and, you know, I'm a psychologist, so I can tell you how I feel about that. I'm, I'm with you on your definition. When people come in with, quote-unquote, a fetish because, again, some people... They misuse the word. They think that if they are aroused by something and they don't feel really comfortable with it, they feel that they have a fetish where it may not be the only way that they can experience arousal or sexual pleasure. So we talk about sometimes it's just normalizing that and saying, hey, you know, so fantasies are fantasies. This is something that turns you on, whether you think about it or whether you do it and not hurting anybody, and it's something you enjoy Go for it. Now, in your case, there are people, like what you described at the beginning up until you were 24 when you were only able to experience orgasm through thinking about breast. Now, for some people, if they just have that narrow sexual response, mm-hmm. they could be okay with that. But most of the time, or the people that I see, I probably don't see the other people who are okay with it, they would like to expand that sexual response. Right. So right. when they come in, it's like, okay, you don't need to lose your your fetish or your fantasy because it's something that you enjoy. So enjoy it. However, if you want to expand your sexual response so you can enjoy other other forms of arousal or visuals or behavior, sexual behaviors, then we can work on that as well. And it sounds like that's what you are doing right now. Well, yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think it was organic because I um, I didn't, I wanted to expand the repertoire, I guess you could say, but I didn't exactly know how, and I didn't really, um, I had spoken to a few, I had spoken to a psychotherapist, and I just felt like it was, my fetish was treated as if it were something that needed to be cured, and I really didn't want it to go away, like you were saying, I didn't want it to go away, I just wanted to have some kind of variety on the menu, Right. Um, and it was actually, it's funny because I found that I wanted more variety, more out of um, satisfying partners, which is hugely important to me, um, than anything else. I found myself completely satisfied thinking only about breasts, interestingly enough. Yeah, and and like you said, well, that's a great thing. You don't want to lose that, but right. wouldn't it be nice if there could be other things? And And, you know, you bring a good point up, which is, a quote that you wrote in your book, something that you said, which I thought was really interesting, was that uh, fetishism makes orgasm easy and relationships hard. 
Can you talk about that? Because I think that plays in with what you're talking about now. Yeah, definitely. I was, um, as I said, I was orgasmic from around the age of four, maybe five, um, you know, from that point forward. And I started interacting with men, you know, I'm heterosexual, um, when I was about 17. And it was only at that point that I realized that my fetish was a problem. And because it was something that was so exciting for me, I was, and I've always been a very forthright person. So I let my partners know right away, I have this breast fetish. I don't orgasm with men. Oh my, all right, let's have a relationship. (laughs) And for most, most partners, I think men I've experienced, they certainly want their partner to experience orgasm with, with their help, you know, or with some kind of stimulation on their part. They want to, they want to be a part of the of the right, pleasure. They, right. they want to make you happy and and know that they're contributing to your right. orgasms and and you know knowing that this is that this is partner sex and and that's important. So before you were able to experience great pleasure and orgasms and and all you needed to do was you know either visualize or fantasize about breasts. Right, exactly, and it was it was a solo act. You know, I was a one woman show when it came to work. Yeah, which is you know, <laughs> hey, let's not knock that. <laughs> Something to be said for that. And did you find a way that you could, even without expanding your sexual response to other kinds of things like penises, did you find that you were able to involve men in your fetish and and still have a good time? Well, it slowly progressed. Um, If I can back up for one second, though, I'll answer that in one sec. Um, One thing that I did find when I first started having relationships was that it was the first time that my sexuality, my sexual orientation came into question because men were saying, all right, you like men, but you only think about breasts, which are on women. And it's hard to explain them. Like, no, 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 the fetish, the breasts, are they happen to be on women. The fetish has to do with only the breasts, you know. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and I would imagine a lot of our listeners are thinking the exact same thing. They're thinking, oh, come on. (laughs) She's a lesbian. (laughs) But you're not. No, I'm not. And the funny thing is that I've... You know, my, my partners encouraged me to, to explore that and just say, they said, you know, I think you're a lesbian. Maybe you want to look into that. Um, and I, I wrote in the book, you know, I said, um, all these questions came up. Like, you know, maybe I need a chick with a dick. Maybe I need a woman. Maybe I need the right therapist um, or the right hypnosis or something like that. Um, and I found that that wasn't the case. Now, to get back to your question um, that you just asked, I have slowly evolved. So it started out with um, men watching me masturbate as I thought about breasts. Um, And that slowly, very slowly evolved into my ability to um, orgasm while they're stimulating me and I'm fantasizing. So it might be something kind of uh, foreplay-like. You know, uh, just the other day I was able to orgasm while a partner was sucking sucking on my nipples and just kind of touching me a little bit, being really, just being really sweet and gentle, but still kind of naughty. And I was able to fantasize and I masturbated and I came within about probably two minutes. It was really, it was a really yummy experience. Yeah. So obviously you were very aroused. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And it really matters what your partner is like. You know, he was very, um, I found that my earlier partners were sort of, you need to orgasm by Friday or it's over. (laughs) 
Whereas I found that now that I'm a little bit older and I know what I want and what I seek in a partner, um, I'm able to just say, you know, this is what's going on and this is what I need you to do to help me to orgasm because I want to give that to you. I want to experience that with you. See, now it always comes down to communication and and knowing what you want. And that does happen with experience and experience happens with age. And you know what's so great is you're only 25 still. So (laughs) the the best is yet to come. Now we need to take a quick, quick break to support our sponsors. But we will be right back. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about some fantasies. (laughs) We'll be right back. Listen to A Taste of Sex, Life in an Orgasm-Based Community, a weekly online audio program where orgasmic innovators share the intricacies of their practice on personallifemedia.com. Welcome back. You're listening to On the Minds of Men. I'm your host, Dr. Lori Buckley, and I am here with Virgie Tovar, a breast fetishist as well as a phone sex operator, and I want to talk about that latter part. (laughs) We've been talking a lot about fetishes, and it's interesting because the word fantasy keeps popping up. Can you tell us... You know, a little bit about the difference between a fantasy and a fetish and, and how that comes to play in the phone work that you do. Well, I feel that fantasies often play a very integral role in fetish. Um, especially since a lot of people when, you know, a lot of people gain their fetish when they're, before they're even 10 years old, which is an interesting thing. And, you know, a lot of children aren't, aren't sexually active before that age, um, one would hope. And so their fantasies, um, revolve largely around this fetish. So, I mean, for me, the bread and butter of my fetish came from my childhood. Um, so in a lot of ways, it's, it's part of, it's a huge part of, fetish, and I don't know that I, um, they're so difficult to sort of, I mean, they're so difficult to distinguish, and yet they're so separate in terms of their definitions. Right, but they um, definitely overlap, and right. while, while children are not uh, acting out sexually, in other words, right. they're not behaving sexually, well, maybe in some ways they are, I mean, you were masturbating when you were four, Right. certainly we are sexual from, from day one. Well, we right. know that we're even sexual while we're in the womb. We exactly. have some, some studies right. that show babies masturbating in the womb. So we are always sexual, we're born sexual, and that makes sense that that would play into that. You said that uh, fantasy plays a large part in fetish, but fetish also can play a large part in fantasy. So so it's something that can that can really help us to understand ourselves and experience some pleasure. At the same time, for many people, it can be problematic. And I think what you had talked about before, how you know you were seeking some answers, whether you needed hypnotherapy or whether you needed therapy at all. And sometimes it's just because it feels like, based on messages we get from so many different places, there's something wrong with us. And I, what I love about doing this show with you and about talking to you is we can let people know that, no, there's nothing wrong with having fantasies or, or having um, certain things that, that really turn you on. Can it be problematic? Well, yeah, if it becomes so, so narrow where you're only able to respond to one thing and that 
interferes with your sexual pleasure or your relationships, well, yeah, then there's something you can do about it. Not cure it, but again, just expand your sexual responses and your sexual pleasures, and that's very doable. So I love that we're talking about this because it's important. But I do want to talk about your experiences as a phone sex operator. First, I have to ask, what got you into that? You know, I have been, my first sort of forays into sexuality with other people was through phone sex because I was extraordinarily shy. I was brought up religious, um, and I was, I was very guilt-ridden around my, there was a lot of guilt around my sexuality. Um, and so I didn't want to go right into physical behavior, like real life, actually. So I found that I would go online and I would, you know, get these men to call me and we would have phone sex. I just found myself so aroused and I loved it and I found that men have been really responsive to my voice from a very, you know, when I started doing it, I was about maybe 16. Um, and I just love doing it. And I think even to this day, I, I consider phone sex a huge part of my sexual menu or my sexual pie, as I call it. Um, but <clears throat> I started officially getting paid for phone sex when I was about 20, um, and boyfriends before it said, you know, you should think about, you should think about becoming a phone sex operator because you're so good and you, you could get paid to do this and, um, and do what you love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, you do have an extremely sexy voice, and I'm sure the the men, maybe even the women who are listening right now, are enjoying all the things that you're saying. (laughs) Since you are a professional when it comes to phone sex, I get so many questions about, you know, how do you do that, and what are some fun things I could do with my partner on the phone to, to have some fun, whether we're traveling or, you know, just not able to see one another, or we just want to kind of spice things up. Do you have any phone sex tips for our listeners? Yeah, well, a lot of people feel like they're going to get tripped up doing sort of this performative sexual act. Um, And I think, first of all, embrace that, love that. You know, for me, when I think about phone sex, um, I think about going into my mind and having this extraordinarily expansive porn shop inside of it, and I just pick out a movie, and I plug it in, and I I just sort of describe what's going on in the scene. So kind of taking that liberty, you know, don't be afraid of being an exhibitionist or performative in your sexual behavior. And that might even segue. I found that phone sex has given me incredible confidence in my actual bedroom because I have more confidence to talk dirty. I have more confidence to play out the things because I know that my partners and the men I speak to are turned on by it. So that would be one kind of give yourself permission to talk dirty and be nasty. And you can pretend that wasn't you (laughs) if you want to. Right, right. Um, My second tip would be if if you don't want to have a very um, verbose sort of word-intensive phone sex session, you can do a lot of sounds. So I've found that men and women love sounds. And the great thing about phone sex is that it's completely centered around it. Um, So even if it's moaning or, you know, licking your nipples or touching your, your vagina or your penis, I love hearing men masturbate if they lubricate their penis. I can hear them touching it and sliding their hand up and down. That's extraordinarily high. I mean, in fact, that's probably 
much hotter for me than listening to him describe a scene that he's sort of doing. Um, mm-hmm. I love hearing those kinds of sounds. Like any anything, the tongue, the lips, even licking the lips has a very distinct sound. And, and those kinds of things can be really enjoyed over the phone, too. And my last tip is that you can really explore things that you're not ready to explore in the bedroom, or maybe you don't even want to explore in real life over the phone. And that's where a lot of my clients come in, because they, in a lot of ways, phone sex for them, so for some of them, it's maybe their sole source of sexual um, activity with another person. For others, it's really um, a playground for exploration. And they do all these fantasies they, they may not even want to come to in real life, um, which, which is really common. Absolutely, yeah. There's a difference between fantasy and what you imagine and like to, and like to play with and then what you actually want to act out. And I think that's right. important. And communication, we talked about that before, is so important. And when you can communicate what it is you want or what it is you fantasize about, of course it's going to improve your sex life. But as you said, a lot of people have so much difficulty with that. And the phone, I do think, is, is a, good, a good venue in a way to be able to talk to somebody. Maybe there's a little bit more safety because you're not looking them in the eye and right. you don't have to, to fear that judgment. And to also say, hey, this is fantasy. This is fun. Let's have, let's have some fun with that. And it sounds like you have had a lot of experience in that area. <laughs> and, and it also sounds like it's, it's carried over into your relationships. And when you talk about these, these tips that you have, when you then take it into the bedroom, what kind of communication tips do you have for couples who maybe haven't been able to talk so openly about what it is they want or about their fantasies. Do you have any suggestions for those people? Because I know we have a lot of listeners who talk about those things. Well, one thing, and I found that this really helps me, is that you have, (laughs) I call it the designated driver. And that's the person who, regardless of what happened, pick, you you could switch, it could always be one person, who's going to hold the space, and I know that's kind of, that sounds kind of new agey, but who's gonna, you know, who's gonna say, regardless of whatever happens, keep going. And it's not gonna laugh, it's not gonna break the moment, you know, and it's gonna just keep on, like, cause I've been in so many situations where, you know, I'll be, I'll be all dressed up, I'll have my thigh highs on, I'll have a little schoolgirl outfit on, and then, I'm ready, I'm pumped up, and the minute I walk out of the bathroom and sit on his lap, I'm cracking up because I'm completely horrified, I'm nervous, I'm thinking, this is ridiculous, I can't do this, Um, and I've found that when I have a partner who's the designated driver, who's going to say, no, this is completely arousing, I'm completely aroused, and I'm hard, and you're hot, and and keep going, and and having that person is so crucial, I think I've never, I don't think I've ever heard anybody, no, no one had ever given me that advice and I find I found that it's so helpful because when you're in it um, it's difficult because it's I don't know I don't feel like we're exposed to a lot of different types of sexual expression you know we don't see it out there a lot Um, I feel like it's kind of I feel like it's it's almost caricaturish sometimes in movies and whatnot but you never get to see the whole yeah actually um, my uh, 
my pussy made a noise or my foot slipped or <laughs> I was wearing satin on the satin sheets and I slipped off. <laughs> you know? um, all those things happen and just having somebody who kind of can just dust you off and just say, keep on going. You're so hot. You're so sexy. Yeah. That's, that's a big piece of advice to have. Well, what I, what I love about what you just said, two things, but the thing that stands out for me the most about that is that even though you are, you know, an expert, and this is something that you do. Even you get nervous. So that 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 says a lot. It's okay that we giggle, and it's okay that we get embarrassed, and it's okay that we get nervous. But let's do it anyways because we can just have fun. Because you know what? Your partner is feeling the same thing. And as long as you feel safe in a relationship and there's, you know, there's trust and you two have these conversations about, you know, okay, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? One of us stays in character. It just sets up the whole thing where you two really can just feel safe and open up and have a really great time. Now, I want to take one more quick break and then we're going to be right back. And when we come back, I want to ask you about some of the calls you may have received. So we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to On the Minds of Men. We'll be right back. Listen to Sex, Love, and Intimacy, a podcast providing weekly audio workshops for your pleasure and connection on personallifemedia.com. We're back, and I'm your host, Dr. Lori Buckley, and I'm here with Virgie Tovar, and we are having a very interesting conversation. And before the break, we were talking about, you know, phone sex and different ways to communicate and have some fun on the phone or in the bedroom. And I want to just find out, what are some of the most popular or most common fantasies that you hear about on the phone? Um, well, uh, for me personally, now I, you you've obviously heard my voice. I've I found that when I, when I become aroused, my voice um, goes up even a little further. So um, I think to a lot of men, I sound really innocent and angelic. Um, and if they was... only knew, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, well, I think it's the combination of the two. Right, right, yeah. exactly. Um, and uh, I've, so I found a lot of men like the idea of, at least my callers, the idea of me being a younger woman who is seducing them. So it's a really common, I would say that's the, the number one fantasy that I get is a younger woman, um, usually probably a teenager, um, who's seducing them. And I found that the other really common fan, I think you might be a little bit surprised by this, is um, big black penises. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because I found that these play a huge role in men's family. I don't know how it works out that way, but I've found that in some way or another, it makes its way into cuckolding fantasies where, you know, a man is watching another woman, watching, you know, his wife or girlfriend with another man. Um, it plays into homoerotic fantasies. A lot of men call me with homoerotic fantasies, and they're sort of these forced, like I'm forcing them through manipulation or blackmail. You know, I'll tell your wife if you don't suck that right now that you know that you've been seeing me and you've been sleeping with me um to uh i don't know things like um I'm a woman, and then all of a sudden I pull my skirt up, and I have a special surprise for you. Mm-hmm. So I think what's interesting 
interesting, again, is a lot of the, what I was talking about experimentation and kind of using bone sex as a playground, um, a lot of men who identify as straight, they're calling a straight phone sex line, they're talking to a heterosexual woman um, about their fantasies, and they're kind of enjoying that I'm proctoring it, you know, I'm not, they don't have any choice to do what I'm telling them to do, so it's kind of fun to surrender in that way, but I found what what's most interesting to me is that it always, always involves um, volition, seduction. Um, there's always kind of this compelling factor that's coming from me. And I rarely get calls where a man is trying to, you know, play out a forceful fantasy where they're the aggressor. I'm always the aggressor, the perpetrator, the seductress, you know. Very interesting. Yeah, you know, it, it actually makes sense to me. That there's a couple things I want to say about that because there's so much there, but uh, we only have so much time. But what, <laughs> what, I, what I do want to say, first of all, is that it's, the important point here is that fantasy and reality don't always collide. So, right. you know, as far as sexual orientation goes, there's a lot of people, men and women, who have same-sex fantasies. Yep. And who would never really want to actually have sex with someone of the same sex. So, you know, there's that, there's that continuum of sexual orientation. Now, women don't feel so upset about that because for some reason there's not as much stigma uh, for heterosexual women to have fantasies with other women because why? We know that men are turned on by that. But men, a lot of men I know feel, heterosexual men, feel really you know, shamed about their same-sex fantasies. And we're just going to, we're going to put it out there right now for you listeners. It's not uncommon, and it doesn't mean you're gay. And you know what? Go for it. So that's one. The second part that you mentioned, it doesn't surprise me because I hear from so many men, uh, whether it's the listeners or my patients, who what they want more than anything is a turned-on woman, a woman who is who's going to seduce them, who wants them, who desires them. And unfortunately, what happens more often than not is it's the man who needs to seduce the woman, uh, make her happy, right. make sure she's relaxed, wash the dishes. You know, there's all these things that we're, we're talking about men, what they need to do to get a woman to have sex with them. So when they call you, they're able to, to, to be the, the passive person in a sense and have a woman who is letting him know how much she wants him, whether she's seducing him or whether she's just being aggressive sexually. And men like that. Absolutely. I mean, I've had a, I've had a few callers who, um, I had one particular who's very memorable, um, an incredible man. And the first call he said, you know, I'm in a marriage. I love my wife. She's no longer interested in having sex with me. I can't have children. Um, and she's very hurt by that. And I just feel like nobody wants me. Um, and I was hoping that we could play out a fantasy where you seduce me. And I was just so, I was so moved and I was so turned on by his vulnerability. Um, and we ended up having this extraordinarily long-standing phone relationship um, that was so hot and so charged because, because of that, I mean, you're, it's very true. I think that I'm a dominant woman, so I very much enjoy taking control um, of situations that are sexual or potentially romantic. And, and I just feel like, you know, again, give yourself permission to play with that role, to play with the, the seductress. It's very fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, of course, there are men who, 
who like to be the top or who like to yeah. be the dominant ones. But even then, I think there's something about, you know, the woman surrendering and giving herself right. to him, which is, which is really erotic. So we all have different fantasies, different behaviors, right. different things that turn us on. And you know what? Enjoy it, right? That's, I think that's, I think that's one of the main things that we want to say here. Now, Virgie, you have, um, a lot of things going on. If somebody wants to read your book or find out more about you or call you, <laughs> how can they get information? Um, how can they find you? Well, the book is called Destination Double D, Adventures of a Breast Fetishist with 40 Double Ds. And it's available um, at Amazon.com. Um, also, GoodVibes.com. So it's available through Good Vibrations, which is um, our big sex store um, in the Bay Area. My website is BreastFetishist.com. Um, and there's a lot, I mean, pretty much all the information is there. That's my most comprehensive source for information. Great. And we will have all that information on our website. Thank so you. It has just been so much fun talking to you. We've learned so much. Now, before we say goodbye, though, yes. um, I think we need to hear some moans. Can you give us some good, some good phone sex moans? Ooh, ooh, I'm just recovering from a cold. Hopefully I'll be able to do my, sexy, my sexiest moan for you, Lori. Okay, let's try it. Okay, okay. Mm, or maybe uh, another noise that I find that men really like, and I hope I can do it. Let's see. If I, let, we'll see. Okay. Uh. <laughs> it's kind of a little squeal or something. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds pretty easy to do. <laughs> Definitely. Especially if you're not congested. <laughs> yeah, so if you, don't try this at home if you just got over a cold. Maybe that's, maybe that's what we need to say. But you just have... So much great stuff to say. Your book is filled with all kinds of fantasies and actual experiences. So if you out there, our listeners, any of you have any uh, interest in breast or in hearing about a woman's experiences or fantasies, definitely check out Virgie's book. I think you're going to enjoy it. And uh, you you can't miss it. The cover uh, has a picture of her breast on it. Um, no nipples, but uh, <laughs> I was a little disappointed, though. I was kind of hoping there'd be more pictures in the book. Maybe that'll be the next one. <laughs> so thank you so much, and it's been a pleasure. And listeners, appreciate you listening to the show. If you want to find out more about Personal Life Media or get transcripts of this show or any other show, go to personallifemedia.com, and you can get transcripts of this show and all kinds of great shows. So check it out, and if you have any comments for me or letters or, or any questions, please write me at lori at personallifemedia.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be talking to you soon. Bye. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com. 